Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, We're back, and uh, we're actually beginning a new series today called Cultural Quicksand. And um, I'm pretty uh, pumped up about this one. Um, I usually am about every series, but this one's going to be a bit more unique. Uh, And today we're going to basically lay a foundation. This is a foundational message uh, for the series uh, that's going to hit some really relevant topics as we go along. You will see uh, as we hit these things. But in this cultural quicksand, we're going to look at a case study today. And let me begin by by sharing something with you, and that's this, to try to give a good lead into everything. Um, You know, we live in California, and so we periodically have earthquakes, and periodically have some big earthquakes. And I can remember when um, my two oldest, Vanessa and Nathan, were just very small, and uh, I can remember a couple times when a pretty good-sized earthquake would hit in the middle of the night. And I'd jump out of bed, and I'd rush to the rooms. I'd leave Olivia behind. No, I didn't leave her behind. But uh, she'd be right behind me. I would go pick up Vanessa because she was older and she was bigger. And she would pick up Nathan, and we'd go, and we'd stand under the door jams of the house. And we'd stand there because that was the solid place, you know, that they tell you to stand in case of such an emergency because everything around us uh, was shaking. And so I'm standing there with my little kids, making sure they're okay in the most firm place that I can find in that entire house. I'm a grandfather now, and I, and I, I have concerns. I have concerns um, that um, they're not, don't lead me to tremendous fear or anything like that. I, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but they are concerns nonetheless. I'm, I'm concerned because I see the cultural ground that's been shifting and shaking for quite some time now, shifting and shaking away from God, away from God's moral laws. A lot of things have been changing, and I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about decades now. I've been walking with God for 41 years, and um, I have seen a gradual shift uh, little by little um, as they try to lead us in different ways um, away from God. And, I, and I've watched it even in, um, in the raising. You know, I was going to call this series, Teach Your Children Well. I didn't do that because I didn't want it to be a, a parenting series. But that, that, that title really does resonate with me. And you'll hear me saying that a lot. Because you got to teach your kids well because we're in a radical shift in, the, in our culture. We're a radical shift in, in education away from God. It's been shifting for a while. Now, I will say that if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, and uh, you say, well, I don't really agree with what you're saying, that's okay. Send me the verses, and I'll study those up to, to see your side of this, of this idea, of, the, of these truths that I'm putting forth. I'm not going to go with what I feel or what I think. That's, that's irrelevant. I'm going to go with what it says, what God says. So if you're a Christian and you disagree, do that. If you're not a follower of Christ and you may disagree with a lot of things I'm going to say in this series, um, 
Well, I would just say, you know what? That's okay. It doesn't mean you have to stop watching or when we open up again, stop attending church. I would just ask that you just think it through. Just take what I'm going to say week by week and just think it through. Because the ground is shaking. Now, I'm going to begin a uh, six-week series. It was five. Now it's six. It may push to seven. And it really could go further, but that's about as far as I'm going to go. In my thinking about this and the way it all rolled out and came to be, I don't think it could be a more timely or penetrating series that I think I've ever done. I don't even know that I was ever ready for a series like this before I think it took 41 years of faith to get me to this place. I will tell you that I started writing down my ideas and notes for this series at the very, very end of 2019 and then continued early in 2020. Little did I know that 2020 was going to roll out and be so wild. And so as, I, as it rolled out and I was already taking notes on so many of these topics and writing things down and reading sociological reports and different things like that and seeing what scripture says about this and that, it became evident to me that this was just something the Spirit of God was really uh, preparing me for, <clears throat> especially looking at the chaos that exists and the mentalities and the culture and the cultural thoughts that are swaying us against what's God, what God's Word says. So it became very fascinating to me. And so today I just want to begin. This is just a beginning point. But now before we get into what I'm going to talk about today, I want to get into our key verse. Now it's not a key verse. It's not even two, sometimes I do two. This is four verses. And they are found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. These are Jesus' words. And these, and this is going to be our key verse. So if you're watching this and you feel okay reading that loud, read it out loud at home. Here we go. It says, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now what's Jesus saying? We're saying multiple things, but the main idea is he's making a comparison of lives. And he's telling us you could choose one way or the other in which to live. He says, the wise person builds his life upon the words of Jesus and acts upon them. And so they are built upon the rock, solid foundation. So when everything shakes and the winds of life and the tribulations and the cultural shifts and changes blow, that person's founded on the rock. They don't shift. They don't change. But the person that hears God's word, Jesus' words, And they don't act upon him. 
In fact, they go opposite directions, different directions. They go with cultural thinking. Well, they're built upon the sand. And so when the winds come and the rains hit of life and the different thing comes, they just shift all over the place. Because there's nothing foundational about being built upon sand. We have reduced these four verses into one statement, and the statement is this. Say it with me. Foundations form futures. Say that one more time. Foundations form futures. We have decisions to make. How we build our life today is what it's going to be tomorrow. We need to build upon the proper foundations. Teach your children well. I'm going to look at a real-life case study of a cultural shift. It's in the Bible. It really did happen. And it's amazing to me how comparable it is to the day and age that we are living in. It's about someone at a very, very young age as a teenager was thrust into a different culture, into a different system, and that system and that culture tries to deconstruct what he believes, who he is, etc., etc. His name is Daniel. He lived 2,600 years ago, and this man really did exist. <clears throat> so we're going to look at his life. What we're going to do today is this. We're going to read a text, Daniel 1, 1 through 7. I'm going to give you some introductory thoughts. Then I'm going to draw three things that are out of those verses that are relevant for today. It's a, it's a case study in cultural quicksand. It really is. And then I'm going to point you to an answer to a question, the question that I think everyone wrestles with today at some point. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You may wonder, why is God giving the Jewish king, Israel, into the hand? Because they disobeyed God. They threw God to the side. And they started following the ways of the world and the ways of the culture. And they knew better. And God was patient, very patient. But finally the day came and said, okay, you don't want me? You're on your own, buddy. <clears throat> Along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into, to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Remember the word Shinar for later. That's the area where Babylon was. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Youths, remember they are youths, they are young. In whom was no defect, who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Babylon is in or the Chaldees. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years. 
at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, they're Jewish kids now that have been brought there, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, you know these names, some of you. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story later on in Daniel. Some of you do. Some of you haven't got there yet. But let's pray. Father, we pray today that mm, this message is going to make sense. This is not anything to be terrified over, but it is something to really look at. So we teach our children well, so we, we instruct ourselves correctly. Because God, we don't live in something too far off from Babylon of 2,600 years ago. In fact, they're so similar. So God, open our eyes, open our ears to understand. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, Amen. Now I want to tell you right off the top that if you know me, you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And I'm not paranoid, not any of that. I'm a realist. And I know there's a spirit behind anything that's happening. It's biblical, it's a fact. And it just depends what spirit is behind what is going on. And you must discern those things based on the word of God. But let me give you some introduction so you understand a little bit about Babylon, what's going on here in the story. The first seven verses at least. Daniel was deported to Babylon around 605 B.C. So that's a long time ago. What's interesting to me is verse 2 that we read. They, they point out that Nebuchadnezzar, when he besieged Jerusalem, went into the Jewish temple. And he took the vessels from that temple, the holy vessels, the gold-covered holy vessels. What I would think is that he probably went in there looking for their idol, their statue of God. But we know that they're not allowed to make statues and idols of God because God is a spirit. He's invisible. And so that probably shocked him a bit. And so what did he do? He took all the gold, all the utensils that they used for God in the service to God, and he takes them back to Babylon. Because you see, he had something like a museum of these things, of all these gods, of all these places he invaded, and he'd bring them back to this place. So he brings the things of Yahweh God back and puts them in there with all the other false god stuff. And so the first thing you need to understand is this. They made God, our God, the only God, Yahweh God, just one of many gods there in Babylon. That's the world that Daniel's going into. There are many gods. Do you know in Babylon there were 1,197 temples to all these various gods? They are polytheistic, multiple gods, which means they've relativized God, which means this. When you relativize God with many gods, it means that it affects values and it affects truth. And Daniel's walking into this world, and he's coming from a world that believes in Yahweh God. Much like you and I, when we leave our homes or our kids go to school, they're walking into a world like that. Listen closely. In that time of world, there are no absolutes. You've heard that one before. And of course, whenever anyone says, there are no absolutes, you need to tell them you're absolutely right. Because in their statement, they violated, violated the very statement. But let me tell you about absolutes. There is no culture, there's no society, there is nothing, not even a family, 
can succeed and continue without absolutes in their life. If you don't believe there are absolutes, if you ever got behind on your car payment, you need to go to the bank and the bank manager will show you how you are behind, you're in the red, and you need to tell him those numbers aren't absolute. He will laugh in your face because they are absolute. We live in a world of absolutes, but they try to eliminate our moral absolutes. Listen closely. Once we relativize God and make him one of many gods, all definitions are gone. All definitions are gone. Everything is open to reinterpretation. Everything is, which is what is happening today. Everything's open. Every, they're reinterpreting everything. And that's not even new. Because didn't Eve tell the servant, God said we cannot eat from that because the day we do we'll die. And what did the servant say? You surely shall not die. God knows the day you eat of it. He's reinterpreting the absolute. This is nothing new. It's nothing new uh, in Babylon. It's nothing new today. It started back in Genesis chapter 3. What's fascinating to me is they take these three, though actually four men, Daniel, and then eventually they become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the other guys. And it says they're going to re-educate them for three years to put them into the service of Babylon. What they're going to do is they're going to re-educate them in the literature in the language of Babylon, and they're going to give them a new identity. They're going to do every one of them. <clears throat> and it is these three things that we will touch on today. So here are the three things I want to bring out from this beautiful, real-life case study of 2,600 years ago. Listen closely. The first thing we see is, number one, Babylon re-educated the young. We know they are youths. That's what it said. Now, <clears throat> they take these young guys, Daniel, commentators, historians say that Daniel was probably about 15 years old when he got there. They go after the young to re-educate them. Why? Because those of us who are older, we are less likely to be re-educated. We are firm in our beliefs. We are firm in our foundations. And we're not going to be remolded, and we're not going to be re-educated. They always go after the young people. You're watching that today in society. Abraham Lincoln, one of the most brilliant men that I think in America that ever lived, and if you ever, I got to visit where he was born, but if you ever want to read magnificent quotes, read his quotes. Just Google them and read them. He was, this guy was so wise, so smart. One of his quotes, among many, has stuck out to me. And I want to read it to you. And it says this. The philosophy in the schoolroom, one generation, will be the philosophy of government in the next. Oh boy. He couldn't have been more spot on. And they understand that. And they know this. Is it any wonder they do not want to give vouchers for people to be able to choose what school their kids can go to, to get their kids out of some schools that just are not up to par? Is there any wonder they don't want to give parents that ability? Boy, they scream choice all over the place. But boy, when it comes to choosing that, oh no, oh no. Because they know what will happen when they give choice of schools. They know people will choose the best. 
Now, listen to me. I remember, and by the way, we have many great Christian teachers in schools, and they're doing their best at the front line of these things. We have many great Christian administrators in schools, and they're doing their best to keep the morality right in a world that's pushing against them. Let me tell you, I remember back in the early, early, early 90s, and uh, Dylan wasn't born. Vanessa and Nathan were, I think Nathan was probably about kindergarten. Vanessa, she was probably about eight, nine. And I got a letter from the school district here in Cornwall Unified School District. They said they're going to be teaching certain sexual education literature. And I thought, what? They said, but if you object to you want to, we're going to show you what it is. You can go down to the district and you can read the curriculum and we're going to have a school board meeting and you can come and tell us your thoughts. So I went down, I read everything. I took all my notes down. You know, I wrote the page numbers down. I wrote the things they were saying. I thought, why would they ever want to teach young kids this stuff? It's not their business to teach them that. So I went to the school board meeting. I'll never forget that night. <laughs> Let me be, give you my first observation. Let me talk to Christians. I was embarrassed. I was thoroughly embarrassed for, for Christianity. I, Christians were just acting like children in that room. The things they were saying, the arrogance, the things they were yelling. I thought, oh my gosh, please God, no. Stop them. I remember I finally near the end got my opportunity to go up and I went up and talked. And the whole school board's right there. And I looked at them and I said, uh, first off, I want to say that I don't envy your job. It's not easy. It's not easy. But I went and I read the books. Nobody there had said they went and got, read the books or written down. None, none of the Christians did that. They just went in to fight. I said, I read the books. I went down and read them. On this page, this. And I said it on this page, this, of this book. And I went through everything. And I said, I, I really don't want my kids to learn this stuff. I don't, don't think that it's your job to do it. I don't think they're ready for this. It, it's my job to do this. And they listened a little bit. They, they did. I got to give them that much. Well, that was then. And this is now. And they don't listen anymore. They try to take parenting away. They really do. And you're, you're making it up. I'm not making anything up. They're trying to re-educate our children because they think they know how to re-educate them better. They're not just teaching math, science, history, and English. They're teaching ideologies. You better understand that because what they teach in the classroom one generation will be in government next generation. Teach your children well. See, they use the same strategy with Daniel. You think the devil doesn't, doesn't uh, you think the devil starts and tries anything new? No, he always uses the same thing, re-education. And he goes after the young. He's doing it to Daniel. They went after Eve. They're doing it right now. <clears throat> See, in the re-education process, some of the things you're doing are they're redefining everything from marriage to sexuality to what it means to be human to morality. And think about this. 
That's Babylon. Babel. Remember the story, Tower of Babel? What was the whole point of that story? They wanted everyone to stay together and speak the same language. They wanted everyone to think exactly the same. That was the goal. That was the whole point. And that is the push now. They want everyone to think the same way. Now, if the thinking lines up with God's word, great. This is absolute truth. But if it doesn't, not so, it's not good. It's not good. And much of it does not line up correctly with God's word. So be careful, teach your children well, because they are re-educating the young. And it's a fact. that This is happening now. The second point is this. Babylon deconstructed truth. They deconstructed truth. Now, think about this. They are, they, they are changing language on these young men. So you think about that today, changing language. What, what, how does that relate to us these days? Well, we could look at it like this. Truth, morality, sin, faith, chastity, husband, wife, gender, all taboo now, all taboo. All of it. And in our cultural shifts, you know, we have political correctness. Now, that might have started off maybe like a pretty decent idea, but it sure shifted fast into one of the worst violators of truth around. Now you cannot have honest dialogue. You can't discuss these things in truth because my, that's politically incorrect. And now we can't even talk about things. Let me talk to you for a second. I'm in my 60s, guys. I've watched. I've observed. I'm not speaking from inexperience, and I know my scriptures. They're deconstructing truth. This is why it's so important you teach your children well. It's why important you, you learn your word of God. This is why it's important you better have your kids in church. Get them in. Peter. One day... There's a big storm. Remember that? Jesus sent them off in the boat. And the storm hits. And then they're, they're freaking out because, you know, the waves are high and there's massive wind and it's violent. It's, and Jesus comes walking on water. And they think he's a ghost because, you know, they're men of faith. They finally realize it's him. It's me. Do not fear. And Peter says, let me, let me walk on water with you. Jesus goes, come on out, man. Okay. Peter starts walking on water. And he's doing good. And he's doing good until it says he looked at the wind. In other words, he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the wind. And once he did that, he started to sink. Once he did that, there was no more solid ground. And then he realized what happened and he calls back out to Jesus. Jesus, he focuses back on him. Boom, back on solid ground. Jesus has him. And they get in the boat. <clears throat> Paul, in the New Testament... In chapter 4 of Ephesians, you know he would say? If you want to be a mature person in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, then what you've got to do is you grow in these things of God. You learn truth so that you do not fall for the different trickery or winds of doctrine. Wind of doctrine. Be careful. All kinds of winds are going to come at you and I from a lot of different directions. And they may feel right, they may sound right, but only God can tell you if they are right. Only God. 
And if you fall for the winds of doctrine, you'll be like Peter, you will sink. And you've got to get back to your focus on Jesus because he's the only solid foundation. Teach your children well. Foundations form futures. Now, <clears throat> you've heard the word postmodern. It's a cool sounding word. Postmodernism. Hear it a lot. Have you ever studied up to know what some of those things are in postmodernism? I'll tell you one. If you don't believe me, read up on yourself. I've read up on these things. It, one of their, their, their basis is a limitless instability of words. What does that even mean? It means that words mean, word meanings are always shifting around, that there's no solid base, that words don't have a point of reference anymore. There's nothing solid about them. In other words, what they're saying is this, Eve... You are God now. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide what things mean. Don't worry about what God says. That's, that's, no, that's antiquated. There are no absolutes. Eve, deconstruct truth. God said you should surely die, but forget about that. Eve, you will not die. You make the decision. See, there's nothing new about these things. They've been there forever. And it's been a ploy of the enemy for a long, long time, huh? And that's what they're doing to Daniel. They're going to try to deconstruct every bit of truth he has learned in that Jewish home in Israel. They've got him away from there, and they've got him in a pluralistic, relativistic society, and they're trying to re-educate him in all these things. That's what they're trying to do. And then it doesn't end there. Then they go to the third thing. What's that? Babylon redefined their identity. That's a biggie, guys. Babylon redefines their identity. Now listen. They change the names of these young men. All of their names have the name of Yahweh God somewhere in it, of, of God. Daniel, L, L is the name of God. But they change his name to Belteshazzar. Now, Daniel, it means God is my judge, meaning he's my guide. But Belteshazzar, it means Mabel, one of the false gods in Babylon, Mabel protect his life. So now all of a sudden, there's a redefining of who he is, and there's a re, uh, there's elimination of God and an injecting of a false idol and a false belief system. See, Babylon, they really believe that they're building a better tomorrow, when in reality they're just reliving the past. All they're doing is reliving Genesis 3. There's nothing new under the sun, guys. There's nothing new. And this has been going on, this cultural shift, for decades and decades. I've been watching it in my life. Now let's think of identity. <clears throat> Our culture minimizes uh, the difference between humans and animals. In other words, they say evolutionary thought says, I'm just one rung, one rung of the ladder above an animal. I don't really have any identity. I'm just one of the species out there. But I want to show you something about God in God's word that I find so fascinating about identity. And this is a big one. Teach your children well. In Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 4, this is talking about the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar. We're talking about Babylon in the land of Shinar. Now let's go back in time. Genesis 11, 1 says this. Now the whole earth used the same language. And the same words. See it? It came about as a journeyed east. 
that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. We read Shinar in chapter 1 of Daniel. And settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone. And they used tar for mortar. Now watch this. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What do they try to do? Their, Babylon's goal, we're going to make a name for ourselves. But notice, just one chapter later, what God says to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 and 2 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. You know, we could spend a lot of time on those two, the contrast of those two things. Babylon says, that goal says, you're going to make yourself a name. You're going to figure it out. You're going to give your idea. But God's goal in Genesis 12 is, I will make your name great. <clears throat> Listen close. Babylon is trying to give um, them identity. Babylon is trying to give Daniel and his buddies identity through their ideology. Abraham got his identity through his faith in God. Did you hear what I said? Babylon is trying to give Daniel and the guys identity through their ideology in Babylon. God is going to give Abraham identity through his faith in God. What's the biggest cry that you hear somewhat regularly from people? It's the issue of, who am I? Who am I? Adam gave animals their name. God gave Adam the name man and woman. Listen, no ideology, no cultural shifts. They can never, ever tell you who you are. Only God can. All they're going to try to do is destroy the identity of God. They're systematically trying to eliminate the only one that can give them identity, and that is God. They're trying to eliminate that from Daniel's life. Do you see it? Do you see it? Teach your children well. Only God can tell your kids who they are, and only God can tell you who you are. I'm a movie guy. <clears throat> I cannot believe this movie is almost 21 years old now. No, it is 21 years old. It's almost 22 years old. So I've given you 21 and a half years to watch it. I'm going to ruin one piece of it for you. I, I, I've drawn so many spiritual applications from this movie I've, that I, I've never really used much of it, but it's there. And that movie's the first Matrix movie, Mr. Anderson. A lot of you know the movie. Some of you have never seen it. You need to get with the program. His name is Neo. It means new. He is unplugged. It's just a brilliant, brilliant concept for a movie. He's unplugged from the Matrix. And there's this one scene where they're in the car. 
where they go back into the matrix, but now he's outside, he sees what really is. And as he's traveling the car, he sees a restaurant in this world that he thought was real, but is not real. And he says, he looks at her and goes, what's going on? And he says, I used to eat there. Really good noodles. And then he says, what does this mean? And Trinity says, one of the best lines in the whole movie, and there are many. She says, it means the matrix cannot tell you who you are. Oh, man, I like that one right there. The matrix can't tell you who you are. The system cannot tell you who you are. Okay. Listen. They say, the culture says, that you and I were created by an unguided, mindless, the random processes universe, the system. That'll never tell you who you are. Let me give you an example, and let me drive it home. I like the Twilight Zone. Some of you got excited right now. Some of you have never seen a Twilight Zone episode. But there's one episode among many. Rod Serling was brilliant, just brilliant, these things, these little short stories he wrote. But there's one. I remember it because I've seen them all. Where there's these four or five people inside this dark room. And as the show progressed in that half hour, another one would show up, come out of the dark, and another one would show up, and there'd be about five of them. They didn't know who they were, why they were, or where they were, but they're just in this dark room. They looked up, and there's an opening at the top, but they can't reach the top. And as they dialogue more and more, they don't know who, where, how do I get her, who am I? Then they get one up on the wall, they push him up, shoulders, everything, and he gets over the top, climbs over, and he's out. And then, the camera shows from the outside. And what it was is, you see this guy who fell out, and he's a toy, and he's laying in the snow. And there's a man standing there with a bell, and the whole thing is about Christmas donation, toys for kids. And these were toys that were put in that cylinder. Is that a cool concept or what? Now think about it. Think about it. In the cylinder, they had no idea who they were. That's their system. Who am I? What am I? But once they were going to be taken out of that system into the hands of a child who used that toy, say it's an army man or whatever, they used them for what they were created for. And that child would love that toy. Once that toy got out of the system, it would discover who it is, why it is, its purpose in life. Teach your children well. The system can never tell them who they are. Can never. Can never give them identity. At best, the system will try to rob them of identity. I remember I made this statement about about four years ago. 
Uh, we have a, a Christian school here. I'm not promoting the school. Great school, though. But for 30-something years, I did not believe in Christian schools, even as a Christian, as a pastor. You say, Jim, how could you not? Because I had the, the, the philosophy that I wanted my kids to grow up in an environment, in a worldly environment, so they'd learn to stand up for their faith and what they believe and everything else. That's what I believe. So when I made a shift and said okay to the school, and it had to be my okay, the reason I shifted, and I remember I was, I was standing up Sunday morning when I shared this story, and I remember Drina Rogers, who runs the school, she was sitting right over here. I said, it's because I see the way things are now. I see the shifts in society. And I see the need for these things. Uh, an alternative. So the kids will grow up to know God. I believe with all my heart. See, the system can never tell your kids or you or anybody who they are. Only God can. The one outside the system. God. Okay, let me close it up. Daniel, they re-educate him. In the literature, in the language, they change his identity. He's a teenager. He's far away from home. It's like going away to college. There's no parents there to say, don't do that, do this instead. There's nobody there. He's been deported. He doesn't have family there. Think about that, young person. And there's some... And then what they try to do, I didn't read that far in the first chapter of Daniel. They, they say that he has to eat and drink the king's food and drink. And Daniel, he's not, he said, I can't do that. And you sit back and wonder, what's the big deal? Why can't you do it? Because there's an insertion. Did you catch it? In verse 2 of chapter 1, the insertion is this. Nebuchadnezzar brought back the vessels of God from the temple and he brought them to Babylon. And if Daniel eats and drinks, guess what vessels he could be eating and drinking on? The vessels of Yahweh God. And Daniel says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because if I do that, I relativize God and just make him one of many gods in a pluralistic society like we see today. I'm passionate about this. It burns in my veins. He says, I can't do that. But let me tell you about Daniel. <laughs> He's, the guy's good. Read the rest of chapter one. He doesn't get belligerent. Christian, listen to me too. Because you're going to think, oh, you're talking about the world, people out there going crazy. No, I'm talking to everybody. He doesn't get belligerent. He doesn't get in people's faces and yell. We see that around now, nowadays. He doesn't say there's no way. He's not arguing at the top of his lungs. Instead, he uses wisdom. Calm dialogue and he's courteous he says please can I try this way instead 
And the guy says, okay. And God honors that. And God honors that. You see, somebody taught Daniel well. When everything was shifting, when he found himself in a culture that tried to even take God out of his life and re-educate him in so many different ways apart from what he grew up in and the ways of God, he stood on the rock. And when the wind and the rain came, he wasn't shaken. He didn't shift. He stood on the rock. He stood on the rock. Somebody taught him well. Teach your children well. Teach yourself well. Now, that's it. But if you're here today, and you're not a um, born-again believer, you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you're watching, and you're thinking, okay, maybe this preacher's not that crazy. It's kind of making sense. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He came, he's God, he took on a body, I'm sure that felt foreign, a body that could be tempted, could be tugged, walked in a world that really couldn't stand him because he walked against the grain of the culture. They end up killing him. Here's God in the flesh, they kill him. But while they're killing him on the cross, he carries your sins and mine. That's what it was all about. It was about you. It was about me. Our sins separate us from God. And Jesus carried them. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Isn't that love? That he loves you so much? And, all he said, and then they, they, he dies and they bury him. And of course he blows out of that tomb three days later. And there's plenty of evidence for the resurrection. To give you new life. And I want to offer you that possibility, or that reality this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, let him wash away your sins through his blood. Become a follower of him. Come on, do, do these things. Or maybe a backslid. You walked away from Jesus Christ. It's time to come back. You've got yourself all in all kind of winds of thinking and cultural movements this way. Come on, man. Let's get your hair cl head clear now. Start walking with Christ again. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever you're sitting, wherever you're at, whoever with you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to say it in short little blocks. You repeat it out loud after me. Now, if you feel funny, if there's people around you feel funny saying it, just say it in your head. Say it in your head. But after you're done... You tell people around you that you said that prayer. You do that. You do that. But as you repeat this prayer, you've got to have your faith in Christ. So here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you. Today I choose to follow you. 
with all my heart. Today I become a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you now. Let's pray. God, I just pray, Lord, that um, I pray for whoever said that prayer for the first time in rededication. That this is the real deal. That they're going to walk with you. That they're not going to pull away. But they're going to grow and they're not going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every new thought that comes through. By the trickery of men, Paul said. But they're going to build firm on the rock, Jesus Christ, and his words and apply them to their life. I pray that your love, which surpasses knowledge, would be such an experience in your life. They'd grow and grow and grow in that. Begin the transformation process now of their life, Lord. And it's a great process. We thank you, Jesus, for saving them. All of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.